Welcome to refreshing, energizing business talk. This is Think Tank, conversations in a digital world, presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. Get ready to hear from industry executives and thought leaders on the best strategies and technologies to drive your business forward in times of uncertainty and accelerate success. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Think Tank, conversations in a digital world with new perspectives from SAP strategic partners on business, IT, and innovation. This is where you want to be. Presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Let's see what the buzz is today. I have a quote from HBR, that's harvardbusinessreview.org, from this year, 2020. Let's see what they have to say, and this will introduce our topic. In the no unknowable future, all leaders will need to be entrepreneurs Visionaries who can imagine, adapt, and act nimbly to address whatever challenges come their way. That's from an article, August 7, 2020. And here we are in October 2020, so very recent. So let that sink in. Imagine, adapt, and act nimbly. Okay, so let's talk about our topic. With the landscape of business shifting due to COVID and other global disruptions, come on, we're all part of the world. We know what's going on. Companies need to hire confident problem solvers, the kinds of people who can turn obstacles into positive outcomes. What's the point? They want to improve the bottom line results. Companies want to survive and thrive. These employees have to be self-reliant, but they have to be collaborative. They have to be creative and innovative. Where do you find them? What's going on? Well, since 1987, New York City-based nonprofit Network for Teaching Entrepreneurship is called NIFTY, NF. TE has taught project-based entrepreneurship to over 500,000 under-resourced students, and we'll talk about that, with programs now in 18 U.S. states and in 10 countries. It has spread around the world. We have EY's Mike Kazmar with us. We have SAP's Kyle Garman and Dr. Malcolm Woodfield. We're going to ask them for their take on how entrepreneurial-focused education can benefit businesses in the 21st century economy, and our topic today is called Your Future Workforce, Teaching the Entrepreneurial Mindset. So welcome to my panelists again. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. Shout out to Brad Borkin at SAP and Susan Walker, who sponsored this wonderful series. Let's go around the table and have our panelists introduce themselves. Mike Kazmar, we're so happy to have you here and you have a special relationship to Nifty. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what's going on? Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks very much for having me. It's Mike Kazmar here from EY. I'm an assurance partner. been with the firm for nearly 30 years. I focus on high growth companies, entrepreneurial companies, and uh, those companies typically go from you know, nothing to public companies being global giants in their industries. Um, I've been a leader of our Entrepreneur of the Year program, which is another focus of EYs, and I also am very proud to be chairman of the board of directors for NIFTY, as you formally mentioned, Bonnie. Mike, that must be a very exciting time of life for you right now working with Nifty because we are in a global situation. Nobody ever saw it coming, really. People who predicted it, we don't know what they knew, but we know that businesses have to be agile and fluid and creative and innovative and nimble. And you're teaching this to kids. Just just briefly, tell me just a little bit about what is it like working with Nifty? Just a little, then we'll get to Kyle and, and Dr. Malcolm. Go ahead. Yeah, you're, you're so right. The, the, the kids that we get to work with every day uh, are just they're really bright spots. And, and for us at Nifty, to be able to bring a curriculum to them that has been boiled down into the succinct pieces that you need to understand the entrepreneurial mindset, 
we really do teach kids how to think differently. And as you mentioned, employers are thinking about that today and just how to transform the workforce. Well, we're starting in grade seven uh, with these kids in, at Nifty and, and sometimes even lower than that, if they go to some of the camps, it could be a grade six. So it's really an exciting time for Nifty to be able to touch this many kids virtually, which is a tremendous uh, uh, core competency that we have. Thank you very much, Mike. Pleasure to have you here. And now let's move around to Kyle Garman. Kyle, why don't you introduce yourself, please? And you've got some special credentials I know you want to share with us. Kyle, welcome. Bonnie, yeah, thanks uh, so much for, for having us. Uh, really appreciate the dialogue. So my name is Kyle Garman, a Senior Vice President of Global Business Development. For SAP, I lead global strategic uh, partnerships uh, for, for our company. Um, I'm also the author of a book called The Entrepreneurial Mindset. Um, and I serve on the board of directors of Nifty along with, uh, along with Mike. Um, and, and really the book, uh, 100% of the proceeds from the book are donated to Nifty. And it really captures the stories of some of these students that have developed the entrepreneurial mindset, some of the teachers that teach the entrepreneurial mindset, and some of the mentors that work with our students uh, at Nifty to really help them through the process of building their business plan and then um, presenting their business plan in competitions. So this is a topic, also a father of three that are sort of elementary and middle-aged students, um, and they're active in the curriculum as well. So um, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart for, for a number of reasons, actually. Thank you, Kyle. Welcome. And let me ask you a quick question about Nifty. Did the light bulb go off for you, for Mike, people at Nifty, about eight months ago when we went into this thing called a pandemic? Did the light bulb go off and say, oh my goodness, now there will be an even bigger, or maybe a couple of months after it started, an even bigger demand for the type of spirit mindset we are teaching these kids. They will have more of a place if they don't want to start their own businesses in the workforce of the future. Did that light bulb go off for you, Kyle? I mean, it certainly did. I mean, I think COVID has accelerated, you know, this future of these future work dynamics, you know, by five years in some, in some ways. But actually, I tell a story in the book, um, and I won't go into details, but it was the summer of 2016. I was with my family, with my kids in Germany, and we did a tour of a, an Audi factory, and we saw these massive robots, you know, assembling uh, things. It looked like it was a scene of a, a scene from a science fiction movie. And we talked to the, the people behind this, and they said, look, when you start applying artificial intelligence and machine learning to um, other jobs, there's going to be a lot of white-collar workers that are going to be impacted that maybe are unsuspecting. So I think these future-of-work mm-hmm. trends around automation, gig economy, et cetera, have been out there for a while, but COVID has certainly accelerated them quite a bit. Thank you very much, Kyle. And now we have our third panelist waiting patiently, Dr. Malcolm Woodfield. Malcolm, we'd love for you to introduce yourself, please. What is? What do you do? What's your relationship to this topic? And what's your passion? Malcolm, welcome. Hi, Bonnie. Thank you again for, for the invitation. So um, my name is Malcolm Woodfield, and I run um, the SAP um, business unit vertical for higher education and research. We have 25 of these industries uh, at SAP. I run uh, the higher ed one. I started the this practice 23 years ago. Uh, before that, I was a college professor in the UK and then in the US. So I've only ever worked in this uh, in this particular industry. And as I say, I now have about 10,000 uh, colleges and universities that I work with uh, with SAP. Um, and actually, we not only provide solutions for them to run their universities, but we also have a lot of programs, internships, um, early talent programs and so on uh, that kind of close the loop between our university customers uh, and our workforce. So I'm very, very passionate about this topic because I literally I literally work on it every day. 
Malcolm, you are in such an exciting field, helping kids, helping universities see this reality, see what they're going to do in the world. I'm, I'm looking, I'm thinking back to when I was a kid, and I'm thinking the most creative thing they did in my elementary school was they had a big room where we learned to cook. I think it held about 30 kids at this big table, and we had a cooking teacher. We had so we had trade classes, sewing classes. Uh, we did, we, we had a automatically, oh, listen to this, everyone. You had, you're able to bring in a little bit of money every week, like a nickel or a dime or a quarter, and it went into a bank account. And when you graduated from sixth grade, you could see that you had some money saved up. So it was like a, almost a reinforced or forced savings plan. I don't remember anything particularly entrepreneurial. And I'm not telling you my age, kids, but I don't remember this kind of education. I don't remember that anybody was thinking other than prepare for college. Am I right, Mike? It was just well, you don't go as far back as I do, but it was just prepare for college, Kyle, Malcolm, right? They, they weren't thinking, you have to think outside the box and you have to learn design thinking and you have to be independent and entrepreneur. It wasn't part of the curriculum. Malcolm, you want to reflect on that a little bit? Well, I think in your case, I think the entrepreneurship began when you decided what to do with that pot of money that you'd saved, right? So I think you were on the, <laughs> I think you were on the edge of entrepreneurship and just needed that little push over over the edge there. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with what Kyle said about about COVID kind of accelerating what's going on in our industry. So you know, my customers, students—that is to say, my industry—have already starting to think about. Um, do I really need a college degree? Is it really going to lead to, to a job? Online yeah. learning was obviously starting. In other words, the things that we're seeing, uh, that we're talking about, um, were already happening. COVID was like warp speed in Star Trek. Yeah. You know, it suddenly was like, whoa, and we're off. You know, so suddenly everyone's doing online learning. Everyone's thinking about uh, why am I paying $50,000 a year for an online class? Why am I paying for campus services, which I'm not enjoying, uh, and so on. So uh, I think Carl's absolutely right that it's been it's been zero to 60 in, you know, fractions of a second. And, and that's what, what we're really dealing with. And then who knows what the end state will be, right? Uh, that will be another thing when all of those questions get gathered together and we see new models emerge across the sector. Thank you very much. Now it's the time in the show. Mike, you had something to say, please. I did. I just wanted to just highlight um, what Malcolm and Kyle said about, you know, the pandemic and just what it's meant to Nifty and the students. I think for us, um, you know, when I think about how the organization pivoted, digital curriculum was something that was invested in very heavily in years past. And that digital mm -hmm. curriculum has really, really benefited us in being able to get the curriculum to the kids where they are, whether it be at home, yep. wherever. And um, we couldn't have done it without a lot of support from prior years. But then the second thing is Nifty decided to pivot and say, what can we do to help people that are losing their jobs? So all the Nifty professionals got together. And this was during those two months. They said we were kind of in that lull from March to May. Mm -hmm. And they, they developed a program called Career Relaunch, which they launched on their website. It's available to any America, it's available to anybody around the world who wants to take a couple week course to really get their mindset shift changing and perhaps find them in a way to get back to work quicker than waiting for their employer to call them and tell them that work is open again. And so it's a really cool program that uh, they pivoted on. Impressive, impressive, impressive. Thank you. Now we're going to go to the quotes. And I've asked my panelists to send me a quote from a book, a movie, a song, a person famous, a person about to be famous, because we're using their quote. And Mike Kazmar 
at EY and Nifty has sent us a quote from Seth Godin. We haven't had a Seth Godin quote in a long time. Seth Godin is an American author and former dot-com business executive. He's the author of over 18 books, just a mere 18 books, including the Encyclopedia of Fictional People from 1996. I never heard of that. I've heard of Free Prize Inside, Forbes Business Book of the Year 2004, Purple Cow, sold over 150,000 copies, The Dip, Lynchpin, Worlds of Power, The Icarus Deception. And uh, did everybody know that he curated a 10-book series for kids based on each one based on a video game, Worlds of Power? Mike knows that. Yes. Here's the quote Mike has selected from Seth Godin. Mike, let's have about a 90-second explanation of why you picked this quote and what in the world it has to do with our topic, Your Future Workforce, Entrepreneurial Mindset. The quote is, waiting for perfect is never as smart as making progress. Mike Kazmar, what do you have to say? I'd, I'd like to say that I came up with that one originally, but I will tell you that I probably <laughs> have heard that quote many times while I was leading an entrepreneur to your program, Bonnie. And I think that when you speak to entrepreneurs, the first thing they will tell you is that they fail and that entrepreneurs fail and that makes them better in what they do and ultimately succeed in. And so many of them have told me at the end of the day, if they would have waited until they had the perfect idea, they'd still be an accountant at EY like I am. And at the end of the day, they didn't wait. They decided that they were going to take a chance and they were going to try and do something different. So I tell my kids, I tell our new hires when they start that all ideas are good ideas. You have to throw it out there and see what comes of the idea, but don't wait to have the perfect idea because it's probably never going to come. Mike, I have to ask you a question. We've heard many, many times, I think this might be in one of Malcolm's statements, formal, normal, everyday education kills creativity in kids. It squishes them. It structures everything. You can only do this. You have to answer the math problem. You've got to do the homework. You've got to spend your entire life reading these books and these chapters are going to be tested. We squish it. We squash it. We eliminate it. And now you're saying we're putting it back and we can teach it. Just just a quick a comment from you, Mike. Nifty is trying to bring that back, is teaching them how to think outside the box, how to look big, how to say, hey, I have an idea. Maybe it will work. What can we do with it? Just a quick comment. Are you the, uh, shall we say, the antithesis of formal education? Or are you the add-on, the enhancement? What, what's your thought on that, Mike? I'm going to go around the table on that one. Mike? Yeah, Bonnie, I, I really believe this is the add-on to formal education. I think, you know, there's nothing um, to be said against the formal education process. Obviously, we all went through it. I think in the end of the day, when I sit in a classroom with the students and I watch the students' gears begin to start turning as they're going through the nifty curriculum and the steps and getting an idea on a piece of paper, getting a storyboard together, these kids are coming from very underserved markets. And at the end of the day, in their neighborhoods, they try, they, they really think about a problem they're experiencing every day. And many times they try to utilize that as the impetus to giving them the idea for how to solve the problem. And they come up with ideas that... We just simply can't think of because we've been through that formal education process and our minds are are structured and wired differently. And I think this gives them the opportunity to really take a step back and go, how do I how do I think about the problem that's affecting me the greatest today? And they come up with some really great ideas. Thank you. Kyle, weigh in on this, please. Kyle, formal education slash the nifty approach. What do you think? I think it's an add-on as well. I mean, look, the reality of it is you have to learn math. You have to learn to read and write. I mean, there are some basic science. The curriculum is, 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 is valuable. But I think what's missing is this magic ingredient at Nifty where, you know, you're teaching, you know, creativity and imagination. And you're unlocking this sort of what we call divergent thinking, which is imagining new possibilities, not, you know, convergent thinking, which is sort of getting to the right answer. 
So I agree with Mike mm. that really the, the Nifty curriculum is designed to build this divergent thinking, this creative mindset, but it is not a replacement for the existing educational system. It's an add-on and a complement to what's already there. Thank you. Dr. Malcolm Woodfield, weigh in. What do you think? I have to disagree with my esteemed panelist here. I, I, I don't think it is simply an add-on. I mean, I think we're looking at a reimagining of how education works, how it's funded, uh, how we recruit students, how we assess students. I think the assessment and testing piece is kind of up for grabs right now. I mean, for example, I've got a customer who has thrown out majors, minors, uh, and, and subject matter focus, um, and students are assigned to teams. Those teams have projects, and the students have to work across disciplines to deliver on a project, and they're measured on the outcome of that project. That's mm -hmm. all they're doing. That's not an add-on to what they're doing. So I think we are seeing uh, a revolution and not an evolution and not an add-on. I think that that process of radically rethinking education is going on today. Wow. That's all I can say is, is wow. We, we dr Malcolm, we dream of people saying, I disagree. We dream <laughs> on these shows. Everybody, I agree, I agree. We, it, it's just, we imagine, what would it be like if somebody disagreed? And you did. Uh, Mike, Kyle, either one of you want to say something back to Malcolm, or should I move on? I'll leave it open. Mike? I would just say that I, I, I welcome disagreement because I think disagreeing is what makes all of our minds think differently. And, and when we're in a room, if I want a bunch of yes people in the room, I know who to call. If I want people <laughs> that are going to challenge me on what I'm doing every day and how we're approaching things that our clients and at Nifty, I like a bunch of you know uh, thinkers in the room. And to me, I can't, I can't disagree with Mal what Malcolm said. Kyle? What do you think? I mean, in, in principle, I entirely agree with Malcolm that a rethink is required. But you also, I think, when you look at sort of K through five and then six through eight and then nine through 12, there are some existing structures that you, know, you can't just unwind those overnight. And so my view is, is that it's, you know, while we're rethinking and reimagining, particularly at the university level, I mean, at the university level, I think it's, it's much more, it's much easier to kind of shift. But when you think about the K through 12 level, um, you have to operate within the existing system to some degree. Over time, I think this rethink and reimagination absolutely has to take hold. But it's a question of what can you do today, tomorrow to actually impact change. And that's why I said, you know, this is sort of an add on. But over time, I agree 100 percent with what Malcolm said. Thank you. Good conversation. I'm just going to throw something in here. I, I went to Sarah Lawrence College back oh. in the days when it was all, all women. Wow. And we didn't follow a normal curriculum. You had three subjects, three different teachers. And then you had a one-on-one -on -one with that teacher in the same general subject area. So you took six classes with three teachers. We didn't get grades. Well, all blank broke, broke loose when I transferred to a normal university when my <laughs> husband and I moved to Cambridge. It's like, what do we do with their transcript? So they had to figure out a way to translate all of the comments from my teachers on how well I had done in my classes. So I took, a, I had a class in French literature, but I took 20th century uh, certain types of novelists and did it all in French with my teacher. I had a, a math and I did logic. I did a one-on-one -on, -one on logic with Edward Kogan. Can you imagine the excitement of meeting with an expert every week or every other week and having a whole curriculum designed just for me with that teacher under a topic we agreed that would be a, an add-on to what the classroom was learning? And there were like 
18 people in a class. Anyway, it was it was an avant-garde, probably a very early way of looking at getting a student to think, what do I want to learn? What can I what can this teacher share with me? Fascinating. Let's go to the hey, next. Bonnie, Bonnie yes. can I just add something to what you just said on this question sure. of transcripts, for example? I mean, <laughs> we're getting a bit getting a bit granular here, but you know, there's a new technology called blockchain, which you probably heard of. Yes. Which uh, came out of the Bitcoin uh, development, but uh, now universities are are putting transcripts on the blockchain. What that means is that the student now owns his or her transcript, right? Oh, my. Cannot alter it, of course, play with it, but owns it. Uh, and that's a very different thing. And it's part of the entrepreneurship mindship mindset we're talking about because you now own your transcript. It becomes part of your profile, part of your resume, becomes part of your brand. And that's kind of what we're thinking about here. So I think even th- at that level, we are seeing those changes. MIT, for example, now all MIT graduates' transcripts are on the blockchain. I did not know that. That's fascinating. Very, very interesting. Thank you for that, Brad. We might have to do a show on uh, blockchain, on Think Tank, on the uses of the applications of blockchain. This is brand new. I thought it was just for wonderfully expensive wines and jewelry. And we did, we did, I did a show uh, with the, the, uh, one of the executives at a major seafood company on uh, blockchain and tuna fish sandwich, what's on the menu for lunch. And we talked about the provenance of food. Where was it? Where was the fish caught and who touched it and who handled it and where was it shipped and how was it, was it conveyed to the point where the end consumer actually, but fascinating. Thank you, Malcolm. Kyle has been so patient. Kyle, let's look at the quote you sent me. It's from J.R. Tolkien, The Fellowship of the Ring. This line I'm going to read is from the poem, All That Glitters Is Not Gold. It's the riddle of Strider or Aragorn. Aragorn. It's about Aragorn, the rightful heir of Gondor. And Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring is a 2001 epic fantasy adventure film as if nobody already knows that, but I had to check on it, based on the 1954 novel, The Fellowship of the Ring, the first volume of Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. And here is the quote. And I'm going to read the whole line, Kyle, if you don't mind, the the part of the poem that this is in, and then I'll give you the... So here here is the poem, first part. All that is gold is not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not touched by the frost, not reached by the frost. I love this. Here's the line Kyle has actually picked. Not all those who wander are lost. Kyle, where are we wandering and how are we not lost? Go ahead. Well, yeah, the reason I picked this quote is because it really ties into what we've been talking about before in that, you know, if you, if you think about wandering as sort of curiosity or imagination or thinking about new possibilities, creativity, these sort of right brain concepts, you know, these, these are the things that are most difficult for intelligent machines to automate because they're not repeatable processes. These are uniquely human uh, capabilities. And so one of the arguments I make in the book is that you know, the educational system was designed with, when this is what we've been talking about, it was designed with that not in mind at all. It was not designed to inspire creativity, inspire imagination, to allow students to wander you know, based upon their interests. It was designed around convergent thinking and getting to the right answer. So I picked this quote because I think it's sort of this idea that allowing students to wander and pursue their curiosity and mm-hmm. discover what their own interests are, what their own passions are. And, and we view project-based entrepreneurship education as an ideal vehicle to allow students to, to, to wander and to discover. And we feel like that is what develops these sort of right brain capacities, you know, what we call the entrepreneurial mindset. Um, and it's this ability to wander that is so important in, in the future of work. So that's why, that's why I picked the quote, uh, Bonnie. 
Thank you. Love the quote. Thank you very much. And I love the poem, the idea of the poem. So thank you very much. And Malcolm, let's go to your quote. And this is from Mission Impossible 2, 2020. This is a conversation between Mission Commander Swanbeck, played by Anthony Hopkins, to Ethan Hunt, of course, Tom Cruise. And I'll just leave, let's see, uh, Mission Impossible 2, stylist as M colon lowercase i hyphen 2, is a 2000 action spy film directed by John Woo, starring and produced by Tom Cruise. And it was the highest grossing film of 2000. It grossed $546 million and the highest grossing film in the series for 11 years. Good choice. Here is the quote. Mr. Hunt, this isn't mission difficult. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Okay, Malcolm, rescue me here. Very bad impersonation. I couldn't even dream of talking like Anthony Hopkins, but I tried. Malcolm. (laughs) Sure. First of all, by the way, I love Kyle's quote. I think it was great. I've never read Tolkien. Uh, I've seen the movies, of course, but now I, I need to read them. So thank you for that, Carl. Um, this quote, well, one, because I think it's very funny. I mean, I love the the reference to the movie while you're in the movie thing. And right now, I think we all need, uh, we need a sense of humor right now. So that's the main thing. I wanted something that would be funny. And I, I find Anthony Hopkins very funny. But I think the message, too, that, you know, right now we're dealing with Mission Impossible, right? All of us. Um, and it turns out that what you, we used to think was impossible is actually simply difficult. <laughs> right? So I love that, you know, difficult is a walk in the park, right? So, I mean, I've got employees <laughs> with five-year-olds taking Zoom classes, right? Who knew that was even possible? We would have thought it impossible. Turns out it's just somewhat difficult. So there's been, I think, a huge, we're all now entrepreneurial when it comes to the way we work and, and our students similarly. So I think it's just a great message that what you think is uh, beyond the joke is what you think is impossible may be simply very difficult. And once you've achieved it, turns out that difficult is a walk in the park. Thank you, Malcolm. And, and that brings the, the concept of stretch and grow try yeah. new things, right? We used to, some, some people say fa- fail fast, fail often. Uh, didn't Einstein or Alexander Graham Bell, somebody said, I haven't failed 99, 999 or 9,999 times. I've been on my way to solving a problem at the 10th, something like that. Forgive me, I botched that quote. But the point is we have to get people away from the perfect, right? If it's difficult, do it, try it, grow with it, and keep moving. The quotes all work really well together. Thank you to the three of you and to our audience. My panelists don't sit around a table as far as I know and say, okay, I'll pick this quote, you pick that quote, and we'll weave them together. It just happens to be that they all work so well with the topic. So thank you very much, Mike, Kyle, and Malcolm, for doing the work on the quotes. Now let's get to the round table. We've got some serious stuff to talk about here. I'm going to read a little bit of statement number two, Mike Kasmer, and I'm just going to read the first sentence. I think it's very appropriate and ask you to take two minutes max to describe a little bit, unpack it, as they say in the news, tell us what it means. And then I'll get Kyle's reaction, agree or disagree, Kyle. And then we'll go to Malcolm, agree or disagree with either or both. Then I'm going to pick one statement from Kyle. We'll go around the table and one from Malcolm. Let's see what we can cover. Mike told me the following before the show. When developing corporate responsibility programs, companies can consider focusing their efforts on support for the next generation of entrepreneurs. This is a whole new way of looking at it for me, Mike. I haven't heard this before. So Mike Kasmer, tell us more, please. Thanks, Bonnie. And, and yes, I, I think that as um, we think about hiring new hires into EY across all of our various service lines, 
this is a particular area that I think we've been challenged by our former chairman, Mark Weinberg, to think differently about how we approach the interview process and don't necessarily focus in on the on the good grades and all that, which we know all these candidates have, but mm-hmm. we think about the entrepreneurial mindset. And, and this whole notion of corporate responsibility, I know for us at EY and for SAP, we have great corporate responsibility programs that I'm very proud of. And I think that we can continue to challenge all organizations to consider partnering with organizations like Nifty in, in developing their corporate responsibility initiatives. I can tell you when our people go into the classroom or when they get on a phone call or now a Zoom call, which makes this even easier. We can Zoom with kids from California. I can Zoom with them here from New Jersey, which I couldn't do a year ago just because we didn't think about it, right? And it, we thought we had to be in person. And to be able to spend time with them not only helps us provide value to them as they go along their entrepreneurial journey, but I believe it really helps our people think differently about how they do their job. So when they come back and they say exactly what you said earlier, when I was eight, when I was 12, when I was 15, I was pushing the grass. Maybe I swept, you know, some, some buildings. I worked in a gas station. I did the traditional things. These kids are not doing that. They're thinking really outside the box of how they can change a real world problem. And I think that that inspires our people to then do it. And so I think we have a responsibility to, I guess, help our corporate responsibility partners and, and to partner with organizations like Nifty to give our people that opportunity to make a difference. Very interesting. Kyle Garman, please join us. Agree or disagree? I think I know where you're going to go with this, but I really don't know until you start to speak. Kyle, what do you think? Well, I hate to agree twice in a row with my esteemed (laughs) colleague, Chairman Mike Kazmar, but unfortunately, I am going to have to agree. But I'll share a specific example because I do really think this is is critical. Um, So SAP sponsored a program. So we made a donation to NIFTY, a three-year program, um, and we called it Startup Tech. And what we did was we, we, we funded 27 new classrooms around the country, around the U.S., to teach a combined entrepreneurship plus app development program. And so we used MIT's App Accelerator, which is designed for sort of middle school students to build an app quickly. And so on top of that, in top of sponsoring these 27 new classrooms, which are in middle schools around the country, we put 750 volunteer hours into the program. And so our SAP teammate, our colleagues around the United States who go into, they go into these schools and they help the students build their business plan. They help mm-hmm. them with their app development and they mentor them through this process. And so that's an example of the kind of, of work that a CSR organization of really any company, because I think every company is a technology company in the future of work, you know, partnering with organizations like Nifty in this way to actually touch the students um, and help them build business plans and help them develop their entrepreneurial mindset is better for everybody. And so that's an example of a, of a CSR program that SAP did to advance this kind of thinking. Thank you very much, Kyle. Malcolm, nodding his head. By the way, to our listeners, I'm on Zoom. I can see my panelists. I can see how they think. I can see <laughs> their the little bubbles over their brains. I have something to say. This is really good. I'm enjoying this topic. Everybody is smiling around the table. And I will tell you, I've done professional radio for 10 years now, and until this year, I never used Zoom. It was all on the phone, and I had to imagine, I had to hear the nuances. Is he done? Is she done with the sentence? Is there something else they want to say? Has their breathing changed? Has the speed of their speaking changed? And now I get to see you, and this is so exciting to do radio on Zoom. Malcolm, agree or disagree? What do you think? Uh, I think Kyle really nailed it. I think Kyle really nailed it um, because... 
you know, historically, we at SAP, uh, Carl and I both work for SAP. We've, we've had a major fo focus on, uh, you know, what, what we call CSR, CSR, corporate social responsibility programs. We love acronyms uh, at SAP. Um, and sabbaticals, we have a week of service. No, I think it's a month of service where employees can volunteer, et cetera, et cetera. But Kyle made the point that we can close that loop and bring some of that learning, frankly, into our product line and to our customers. It may be commercial, it may not be commercial. But And I think that's the difference today from those, you know, historic, uh, you know, kind of well-intentioned, well-motivated programs is now to say, actually, we can we can change the world. We, we, can, we can change the world, right? Everyone now is carrying a, a mobile phone of some kind with, these uh, these applications on it. Why shouldn't we play? We so we have an app store, right? The SAP and so on. We we put these kind of applications out there. So I think that's absolutely critical: is that we close that loop and that we enable students to to see the output of what they do in the real world. And then, of course, that gives them the opportunity to be entrepreneurial in the other sense, which is to start their own business, to run their own business, and take entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm to the next level. And I, I think that's a very exciting place to be right now. It is exciting indeed. I have a quick question from Mike Casmer before I go to one of your statements, Kyle. Uh, Mike, I know that part of the focus from what I read about Nifty was to get students to think about what if I could have my own business? What What's my idea? What Where do I go with it? Can I get investors? What do I do to raise money? How do I put it out there? So is there a leap of faith saying to somebody, we want you to think about your own business, but we also want you to think about working for a company that might have an incubator where they would enable you to start that idea under their wing, their tutelage with their funding. Mike, is, is that a difficult crossover to say, well, we really want you to start your own business, but we think you should be part of the future workforce where you will have a check, a paycheck and benefits. Mike, just quickly, can you clarify that for me, please? Yeah, I really don't think that's a stretch at all, Bonnie. I think that's um, certainly as part of the curriculum. And, and when Nifty talks to students, we do encourage, obviously, going on to, to higher education. And many students do end up going to higher education. And in fact, maybe they were never even dreaming that they were going to go mm. to higher education. And it's this notion of entrepreneurship that's allowed them to reshape their thinking. And in doing so, they realize that, hey, I may have to have a, a real paying job. And I really do want to go work for one of these innovators a company that really is breaking glass across their industry, their sector. And that's just as exhilarating to them as necessarily going out and starting it on their own. And they also recognize through the nifty process that it's not as easy to go get funding. So maybe it's easier to go mm -hmm. build this out by going and working for one of these great innovators. Thank you. I wanted you to connect those dots and you did that well. Thank you very much. Kyle, do you want to say something? Because I'm ready to go yeah, on. I just, I want to just add one quick thing, which is that one of the observations in working with these students is that, you think about a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 15-year-old, these, these age groups are so much more capable than prior generations of developing <laughs> new things. And the reason is they've got all the world's information in their pocket, right, on their iPhone, and they've yep. got these digital tools that enable them to build apps in 30 seconds or three minutes. Yep. And so when you, when you actually combine this entrepreneurship you know, curriculum with these digital tools and all this information, you see that 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds can do things that you would never have imagined a, a generation ago uh, even uh, thinking of a 12 or 13 year old doing. And so that's just one of the observations, how capable these young people really are. 
And Kyle, we used to complain not so long ago that kids just wanted to spend time at the mall with their friends. Remember those days? It wasn't that many years ago. What's wrong with teenagers today? All they want to do is go shopping and sit on a bench in a mall. Okay, let's move on. This is a perfect segue to the statement I picked from Kyle. Kyle, I'm looking at statement number one. I think we'll talk about this. You say the future of work is creating a realignment of the kinds of skills and educational experiences that would be most valuable moving forward. Automation of repetitive tasks and pattern recognition is a key factor. Other drivers include, and this is what I want you to talk about, the gig economy and stakeholder capitalism. Can you unpack that, please, Kyle? Then we'll ask Malcolm and Mike to chime in. Kyle, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think it really comes down to, you know, I sort of, in the opening of the book, I sort of make this case that when you look at the future of work and the, and the dynamics of things like automation, um, automating um, a lot of the skills that historically have been, uh, you know, valued in the workplace, a lot of the hard skills. And so what you see is this realignment. You look at the World Economic Forum and what the skills they are most valued in 2020 or LinkedIn survey. What, is, what has come to the top of the list? Creativity and innovation, collaboration and communication, leadership. You know, these things that had historically been considered soft skills are all of a sudden now rising to the top of the list. Mm. Well, why is that? It's in part, it's because automation is continuing to take over things that are repetitive and tasks, uh, repetitive tasks or, or hard skills or con- that require convergent thinking. Machine learning is effectively taking over those things. And so the uniquely human abilities, these right brain capacities are the ones that are most valuable in the future of work is the argument that I make in the book. And then you think about the tr- other trends, two trends, gig economy, which is, you know, 53% of Generation Z cites the gig economy as their primary path for their future career. And the gig economy is where you're doing project-based work and not a full-time employee. Well, if you're, in, if you're in the gig economy, you are an entrepreneur and you have to think like an entrepreneur. And so that's another driver for why the entrepreneurial mindset is so important. And lastly, I talk about stakeholder capitalism. That's a much broader conversation, but it's this idea that we have to have a more holistic view, a more human view of, of capitalism rather than just maximizing profits for shareholders. You've got to look at the communities around you. You've got to take care of them. You've got to look at the environment. You've got to look at your customers, shareholders, or uh, customers and state and uh, suppliers, et cetera, your employees. And so all of these, all what all this adds up to is the idea that the entrepreneurial mindset and these right brain capacities are, are what is so valuable in the future of work. And what is becoming less valuable is some of these sort of repetitive tasks and convergent thinking, because uh, f- frankly, intelligent machines are taking over that work at a pretty dramatic pace. Yep. Thank you very much. Skilling the new generation of workforce and reskilling the current generation and previous generations. Malcolm, I want you to chime in, but Malcolm, I'm going to pop in something here from your statement number one. It's a quote from Steve Jobs, and I think it fits very well. I'm not telling you what I want you to say, but I thought this fit. The quote is, it doesn't make sense to hire smart people and tell them what to do. We hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. And that's the entrepreneurial spirit. That's what we're talking about. Confident builder, confidence people who are confident, who can think out of the box, but collaborate, people who know how to communicate. So Malcolm, join us. Thoughts about what Kyle just shared, please. Malcolm. Sure. No, I, um, well, a couple of things in particular. On, on the gig economy, I think that's a very interesting phenomenon. Uh, I would actually take it one step further, which is not only are participants in the gig economy entrepreneurs by definition, um, but in my experience, I mean, if you look at, say, Uber drivers, uh, as part of that economy, not only are they entrepreneurs as being Uber drivers, but they've always got some other gig going on. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they're always also working for a nursing degree or w- want to become a chef or right. And so it's also an enabler of their passion and their dream. 
So I think there's another layer on top of the gig economy, which I think is even more important, right? The, the, the gig economy is really a foundation for what they really want to do next. And that's the other differentiator is that historically, we've always thought of a job as a job for life, right? Today's generation, they're not there, right? This is what, this is my dream today. I might have a new dream in five years time. And I think that's a very interesting, uh, you know, phenomenon. Second on uh, AI, machine learning, uh, and so on. Um, I think that's also very important to the workforce. We've also got to remember that one, one aspect of education is the education workforce, uh, right? So, which is huge, by the way. The two largest employers in the US nationally are healthcare and education, mm -hmm. right? Mm. In 15 uh, states in the US, education is the largest employer by industry. Massachusetts, Texas, California. California has the UC system, the Cal State system, the community college system. It is the largest employer, right? So how does it affect those workers, right? So one thing is education, we don't like to lay people off. We don't like to furlough people. We don't like layoffs. We don't go through rifts. But we do like to take those people, reskill them, and put them in positions that support, you know, what we call the core mission. That is to say, teaching, learning, research, student services, and so on. So what's happening there is that AI is, as Kyle said, automating those repetitive tasks so that those workers can then work with students mentor students, uh, provide counseling to students, become teachers. So it is actually changing not only the students, but also the workforce itself within the education sector. And now, a word on Steve Jobs. I mean, I love this quote. Uh, mm -hmm. It is actually a quote. Uh, as you mentioned, Einstein. <laughs> I, mean, I've, I mean, Einstein could not possibly, if he'd spend his lifetime inventing <laughs> quotes, have said everything that's attributed to him. But I think Steve Jobs actually said this. Um, and I try to actually live this with my with my employees. Tell me, right? Um, okay, you don't know my business, but tell me how I could do it differently. How could I do it better? As you probably know, we as a company and many others too have stopped doing uh, performance measurement, interim uh, performance measures, and so and so on, uh, as part of this movement towards us asking the employees, uh, how are we doing? rather than telling them how they're doing. And I think this is a really, and again, one of these things that we said earlier that's been not changed by the COVID crisis, but massively accelerated by it. Thank you very much. Mike Kasmer, join us. A lot to talk about here. What do you think? Yeah, well, a lot, lot to unpack there. And I, I, will, um, I will say that I agree with both Kyle and, and Malcolm on, on many of these points. And I think that the um, earlier comment that we made about is education, you know, is this something new or is it an add-on? I think this gig now is is exactly that. I think it's allowing people to follow their dreams. It's allowing uh, people to find a way to fund some of their activities and, and things that they want to do. And EY is a, a huge proponent of, of the gig now economy and all that. We get a lot of uh, temporary workforce out of that uh, particular um, model. And it's proving very well because we can go out there and think differently about the folks that we want to hire. So I think that that's great. I also think that, you know, as um, as we think about um, what the future holds for our, our own kids and, and just what they're bringing to the world today, obviously we're growing up in right now in a pandemic, they're going to school virtually mm -hmm. and they have to think differently every day about how they're doing their particular jobs. I have one daughter who's going to be a nurse Another one wants to be an attorney. Don't, don't throw anything at me, but yes. 
She's going to be an attorney. <laughs> and I think at the end of the day, they're both doing it in different ways. And it's really, really challenging. But it's in, it's really cool to see them um, struggling through it, but also learning from it. And as I've always told them, you know, one of my quotes to them always is, you've brought me a great problem. I really appreciate the problem that you're bringing to me, but how about a proposed solution? And I use that with my team. I use that with my girls all the time. And it gets them thinking differently. I, I don't want the problem without a potential solution. And the solution doesn't have to be right. It just has to be a potential solution to the problem. Mm. Thank you. Just put your dip your toe in the in the pool, right, Mike? And and think about where what can we do about it? Exactly. What can I contribute to do something about it to change it from problem to challenge to something better? Thank you very much. We are almost out of time, but Malcolm, uh, we've covered a lot of your statements here, but I want to give a little um, little French lesson here. Malcolm, in his statement number four, defined what we're talking about, entrepreneur. It comes from the Latin word, little Latin and French, interprehendere, which corresponds to the French entreprendre, prendre in French, which means to grab or to take control. Think about that, entrepreneur, to grab or to take control. And I'm going to read one more tiny, we, Malcolm, we just have about a minute. I'm going to read a tiny bit from your statement number three, because I just want to get this in there. You say, there is an abiding class issue. We still place a high value on a quote-unquote well-rounded education, taking classes outside your academic discipline or major, taking part in sports. How many extracurricular activities have you squeezed into your 29-hour day, kids? There's still a social stigma attached to learning a trade and not participating in tertiary education. You say COVID will contribute to ending all of this. Just two sentences, Malcolm, just wrap this up for me because we have to, we're going to do our final predictions here. Go ahead, Malcolm. Yeah, I think um, I think it's that class difference has gone on a long time, right? We've associated, you know, community college colleges, for example, not only with a different uh, community, but also somehow with a different class or even a different uh, ethnicity. Yeah, and and I think th- I think those boundaries are are being broken down and are being are being driven as we now place a renewed value on on trades or a general uh, education, or as I said earlier, more of a project based. Uh, education, which is in the case, for example, of EY, is how those students are going to be working when they come out, right, uh, in teams, on projects. So I think that there is a real alignment now between the workplace and this next generation uh, uh, of, um, of students and, and, and graduates and employees. Thank you, Malcolm. Okay, everyone, lightning round, one sentence prediction between now and 2025, what will change about our topic, your future workforce, teaching the entrepreneurial mindset? Mike Kasmer, you're up first. One sentence. What's your prediction? I predict that all of us old way thinkers are never going back to the old way. Ooh, old way thinkers. He was very, very politically correct on that one. <laughs> Thank you. Kyle Garman, what's your prediction? So my, my prediction is that organizations of all sizes, all types, public sector, private sector, you name it, are going to be increasingly looking to hire those with the entrepreneurial mindset because all organizations of all types and all sizes need that kind of thinking in their organization increasingly. So that's my, that's my prediction. Thank you, Dr. Malcolm Woodfield. One sentence. It can be a long sentence like Kyle's. Go ahead, Malcolm. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to pack two things in it. One, you started with your monologue, Bonnie. You talked about the unknowable future. Uh, so I think the first feature of this is the sound of crystal balls breaking, right? 
Uh, I mean, we don't know what that future is going to look like, right? We can look in the crystal ball, but I think crystal balls are very cloudy right now. That, that's the first thing. But I think what we can see is the massive influence of social media on, on students today and young people in general and, and the rest of us, frankly, uh, and particularly um, the ability of, of the new generation to build their own brand, to build their own identity. Um, and to really polish that that identity, and that ha is going to have a huge impact. As we hire people, we are hiring people who have built that brand, and we expect them as employees to continue to build that brand. So when right now, you know, I'm going through development plans with my with my employees, for example, and I've said to them, "Don't build a development plan, build a brand." And they're mm. like, "Oh, that's an interesting way of thinking about this," you know. So that I think is where the future is going. Thank you. Very, that was a very long sentence, but you got to a great point there. Build a brand. Interesting about brand. We're, supposedly, we are each of us our own brand, right? Cal, you're in this really cool black turtleneck with a library behind you, and you look like an author, and that's your brand. I've got my, my shiny heart here on my sleeve. My heart is always on my sleeve when I talk about radio. Mike, you're in front of a very serious cabinet there with some glass in it, looking like you're you're running something really really important and Malcolm educator I I see lots of books so we are we are our own brand we have to do some shout outs some thank you here thank you to Brad Borkin and Lisa Chalmers at SAP let's give them a round of applause for putting together the topic Lisa I understand you did the lifting on this one thank you so much glad to see your name we worked together years ago and Susan Walker of course at SAP who with Brad Borkin sponsored the series and I want to say thank you to our engineer let's give an applause from Matt. Matt Widener at Voice America Business Channel. Matt, thank you for, for shepherding us through the process. Um, we are uh, so happy to do this show. Thank you to Mike Kazmer at EY and Nifty. Mike, such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for the work you do. Kyle Garman, good luck. Well, best wishes on the book. Sounds great. And thank you and your involvement with Nifty and Malcolm. Just keep doing what you're doing. The world needs all three of you. I need all three of you because you made a great panel. I think we want to get you back. So thank you to everyone for listening to Think Tank Conversations in a Digital World. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thanks for everything. And everybody, please be safe, be smart, be savvy. And we'll talk to you again soon. Let's all wave. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning into Think Tank, Conversations in a Digital World, presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. Keep the conversation going by tweeting your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAP Radio. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel next time.